While the Hurt Business may be a recent addition to Raw, business has been booming for 15 years for this week's guest. Bobby Lashley joins us as ATB starts now. Welcome, welcome, welcome to After the Bell. I am still Corey Graves, and it is another big, big week here in the world of WWE. I say that all the time, but literally, by the next episode, everything could be different. It's draft week. We are kind of sandwiched in between a crazy week for NXT. We saw the premiere, the debut, if you will, of the Capitol Wrestling Center. The wrestling historian nerd in me thinks it's the coolest just any nod to history because we have such a rich, deep history in this business. Anytime you get to pay homage to something like that, I think is really, really cool. I thought visually it was right up there with the Thunderdome for different reasons. The Thunderdome is a marvel. It's unlike anything any sport has been able to do, the technology involved. It truly is larger than life. But Triple H was very vocal in the weeks leading up that the Capital Wrestling Center was going to be different. It was going to give NXT a vibe uh, unique to itself. And I think they accomplished just that. The mixture of the live audience with the video boards above, it truly gave it kind of that underground fight club sort of feel. I really, really enjoy looking at it. And of course, NXT TakeOver, man, they never disappoint. I just literally finished watching Kyle O'Reilly and Finn Balor uh, in the main event for the NXT Championship. Hats off to those two dudes. If that style is where the business is going, I am all in on this. I love that those two dudes wrestled for like 30 minutes. It was, it made sense. It was brutal. It was so much fun to watch. It was easy to follow. O'Reilly was a star already, but definitely elevated his stock even in a loss. So that whole main event is a wild success in my not so humble opinion, but it really was a blast to watch, but no time to rest on our laurels. Uh, No time to bask in the glow of another successful NXT takeover, which if you haven't already check it out, it's streaming right now on WWE network, go get your eyes on it, but it's draft week. Starting this coming Friday, tomorrow, after this drops, on Friday Night SmackDown, the WWE Draft. It's really unique from within WWE how legitimate the draft is. Because for the most part, in my experience, almost nobody knows where they're going to end up. And it really does provide a fresh beginning for both Raw and SmackDown. New matchups, maybe some superstars you never got to see interact. Now have a chance to brush up against one another. It's always cool to put a fresh coat of paint, a fresh paint of coat, as my good friend Bruce likes to say. Uh, There's a little Easter egg for you. But either way, I hope I end up on Friday Night Smackdown and stay there forever, Uh, albeit not a bad change of scenery to head to Monday Night Raw, as some people will. My guest today certainly finds himself in that scenario. He could be on Friday Night Smackdown, but right now you find him Monday Night's Wrecking Shop as a member of the Hurt Business He is the United States champion, Bobby Lashley. I knew you were doing the show. I knew you were going to do this podcast several weeks ago. And this past weekend or several weekends ago at one of the 11 pay-per-views we just did, I overheard you having a conversation with R-Truth about your beginnings in the business. So as to not take journalistic credit for this, I literally was eavesdropping for half a second. So I'm going to give the, I'm going to give the credit to truth for for (laughs) conducting this interview for me. Um, Run me through how Bobby Lashley came to enter this wild world of professional wrestling. Professional wrestling. 
I'll, I'll start it from when Kurt came. So um, I was at the Olympic Training Center, of course. I wrestled all the way through high school, through college, and then I went on to the Olympic Training Center, and I was wrestling for the world-class athlete program, and that's the Army's world-class athlete program. So I was in the Army, but I was wrestling for them. It's a program that they have for guys that are able to make it to the Olympic team so they can be able to train full-time while being a soldier first, but actually being able to um, fulfill their goals of making it to the Olympics. I think Kurt came in 2003, came in 2003 doing a vignette for the WWE. And I was there working out, training. I mean, it was 2003, so the Olympics was in 2004. So, of course, everyone was going through tournaments that year and um, getting geared up for the final Olympic trials to pick who's going to be on the Olympic team in 2004. Kurt came in and he did that, um, did a vignette and he saw me. So he and I talked for a little while flashback um i was always a big fan of kurt through college wrestling and i was a fan of kurt after he went to professional wrestling i thought kurt was was the best in a lot sure of I, I remember when i was in high school i had a i had a, a vhs tape of, of kurt wrestling at the national championships against sylvester turkey and how they did this big story on sylvester and kurt and I followed Kurt all the way through afterwards. So I was a big fan of Kurt. So when Kurt approached me at the Olympic Training Center, it was like, wow, this is Kurt Angle. Um, and he was like, man, you got a good look. You ever think about professional wrestling? I said, well, I'm a big fan, but, you know, 2004 is a year away. I've been wrestling for 20-something years. You know, I, this, is, this is my goal. You know, so I would love to be able to do it. However, I have to see this thing through. So Kurt took my number. Gave it to Gerald Briscoe. Gerald Briscoe called me up. We talked for a little bit. He was like, man, I'd love to have you over here for a tryout. And I was like, that's that's amazing, amazing opportunity. However, the Olympic trials is in, I think at that time it was like in nine or 10 months away. Okay. I said, after that, I, I have to see this through. I have to make it to the Olympics. That's my major goal. So please give me another opportunity after um, the Olympic trials. He said, okay, well, let's keep the numbers and we'll kind of keep in contact. Wrestled the world team trials and I took third at the world team trials. So I lost in double overtime in one match. So I was like right there in the top three of my bracket. So next year would have been the year, you know, everybody was going to be getting ready and training and, and preparing to make it to that spot. A couple months after that, I was had a day off. It was on a Saturday and I was going to a bank um, to deposit some money. In. And, and as, as the story is told, you know, in the bank tellers, they have the tellers in the front and then they have one line where people get in. And when you come in, you disperse onto one of the onto one of the lines. I walked into the bank. Well, first off, before I walked into the bank, I saw three guys out there. I kind of gave them a little head nod. Three young guys, good guys. They're just sitting outside. And I'll come back to that story, which is stupid, but All right. um, didn't think nothing of it. Got into the line. As soon as I got into the line, not more than a minute after I got into the line, I heard this boom, boom, like right away. And I can see the tellers because the sellers are facing my back and I'm looking at them and they're all screaming. And I went down like this. And when I went down like this, guys come in the door, shots fired. I took dive down to the ground. I this, this, I don't mean to cut you off, but already this sounds surreal, like something out of a movie. Like I, <laughs> you, you only see bank robberies like this in movies. <laughs> right. Right. So it's, especially when I was down on the ground, I was like, it's go what's going on? You know? Yeah. Like I hit the ground, there was a lot of pain. So I didn't know where it was coming from. Like, I felt like my face was kind of burning. I felt like my head hurt. 
my legs hurt. And I was just sitting down on the ground, like, holy, like, what's going on? You know, I was, I was, I was freaking out there for a second when I, when I kind of came to a little bit and kind of just relaxed a little bit. I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then the whole thing that was going through my mind was, it's not supposed to end like this. Cause that's all I was thinking. I thought that these guys were coming in the bank, shooting up things. And the only thing that could keep going through my mind is it's not supposed to end like this. I think I, cause for me, I've been through a lot in my life from growing up and, and single parent family and, and, and just not having a lot growing up. And I used to bust my ass like nonstop. I was just like a freak when he came like working out, I just trained, trained, trained. And I just had so many big goals and everything like that. And I felt like I was so close to, to reaching a lot of those things from like the Olympics. And when I was in college, I was a three-time national champion. I thought everything was kind of coming together. And now I'm down on the ground thinking I'm a target for some dummies that ran into this bank. So when I was down on the ground, I was like just so tense. And then boom, I heard another shot. And I started moving forward a little bit. And I was like, no, 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 be still, be still. Because I thought, I was like, when I came into this bank, you know, just natural observation, there was a lot of women in the bank <laughs> and me. So I was like, man, if these guys are thinking anybody's going to pose a threat to them, it's, you. it's me. Right. It's like, God, God, this sucks. And I'm down on the ground. Now, let me ask you this, because all this is going through your mind. Is this one of these scenarios where time is just standing still to, to have all these thoughts? I mean, obviously, re realistically, it, it can't take but more than a, a few few minutes, seconds. But you're having all this dialogue internally. Yeah, it, man, it, it was like it was like the quickest time, but the slowest time at the same time. It's weird. Like I'm sitting there tense and I'm almost feeling like I want to press myself through the floor, almost that tense, yeah. like just to disappear. And then I'm sitting there like there's nothing I can do right now. And a lot of people, they saw me afterwards when they kind of heard about the story. They said, well, did you get up and like beat them up and everything like that? And I was like, yeah, these three guys jumped <laughs> into the bank, blazing saddles, shooting guns. And I was like, here I come. <laughs> no, I was laying down on the ground praying, saying, please, this is not supposed to end like this. Um, and then I, I stayed down there for a little while. They, they shot again. Luckily, they did not kill anybody or shoot anybody. It all stopped. And then and then I remember the bank president coming and he closed the door. And he's like, is everybody OK? Because the guys had already did what they need to do and they got out of there right so he came and he locked the door so he locked everyone in and he turned around and he was like is everyone okay is everyone okay and then some old lady she was having like a heart attack i rolled over my knee was like as big as a doggone softball and i was like F i was like man I rolled over and, and then you know the cops finally came and everything was just kind of chaos and i had a roommate at the time and i just drove back to my house and i and i just calmly like went to the refrigerator grabbed uh Gatorade slash beer, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and I went out to my my deck and I just sat there. And my roommate came out and she was like, what's going on? And I was like, I think you should turn on the news. And when she turned on the news, it was right there. Local robbery at this bank, Colorado Springs, U.S. Bank, all this stuff. At that point, you know, my knee was so huge. I had to go to the hospital a couple of days later because I tried to ice it. I thought, yeah. you know, I can fix this and get back to practice. But swelling wasn't going down. I couldn't bend it or anything. I had to go to the doctor Monday and they said, we have to go to surgery immediately. You completely ruptured your bursa sac and exploded, went to the back, ripped the side. The fluid went to the front and back of your knee. So we have to go to the surgery. Wow. Yeah. Just from hitting, hitting the deck.
Yeah, because, you know, a, a lot of times they have the industrial carpet, so the carpet's there on just basic concrete. Right. When I landed, I just hit concrete. And I didn't know how bad it was at the time because there was a lot of things that was wrong. I mean, I felt like, you know, the guy shot so close behind me that I was actually burning from the from the blast. Wow. Um, the bullet went, like, right over my shoulder because I could see it in the wall um, in the front of me. And then I guess he shot at another lady later on because – she had her hands up and then she kind of dropped it. Yeah. So we thought that she was basically going to be going to reach. Yeah. Something, yeah. He shot at her and then everybody was screaming. Tell me about the, the three guys on the outside of the bank or am I jumping the story? No, 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 you can't. Um, <laughs> when I went back, the three guys had bananas on around their neck. Ah. Uh, and, you know, it, right now you wouldn't think nothing of it. <laughs> right. But, then I didn't think nothing of it either. It was just because like right next to the bank, there was like this job core kind of thing. And then there were some people kind of standing off the side. These three guys, they were just kind of lounging against the wall. And I normally say hi to anybody and everybody anyway. Right. But they just kind of had the bandanas here. So when it was time to rob, they just. Wow. <laughs> and I thought about it afterwards. I was like, I was so cool with these guys and everything. And they just had these bandanas sitting around the side. But, you know, you can't really predict no you can never assume something like that no of course (laughs) not that's the one thing i told him i was like yeah you guys you just kind of gave me the nod i would have went right back to my car (laughs) (laughs) i'm I'm not later just let me know (laughs) (laughs) give me the iggy and i'm out oh my god well what sucked about it was i i went to the i went to the doctor and they said it's 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 pretty bad what happened to your knee so we're gonna have to put you in surgery and, um, and I was like, what's the recovery time? You know, cause the Olympic trials was in like eight months. Yeah. And the guy was like, ah, it's going to be probably six months. And I was like, man, there's no way it's going to be six months because that's taking you completely out of training for six months. Mm-hmm. Then getting back into training for two months and being prepared for the biggest tournament of, the, of your entire life. Yeah. So for me, I was like, you know what? A regular guy would probably take six months. I said, I'm going to take three, maybe even two, because I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to work this. I'm going to, I'm going to get ready. But the first few weeks, you know, you really can't do anything because it was a pretty bad surgery. They put me in a straight leg cast. So I couldn't even bend my knee. Went to the surgery after the surgery, which is a tremendous amount of pain. I'm just icing every day, doing nothing, saying just, this is ridiculous, upset. But I knew in my mind that as soon as I can start rehabbing, I'm going to, and I'm going to be better. Week goes by, another week goes by, and then I started getting like pains in my knee. And then it started, the pain started kind of getting worse. After that, I had to go back to the hospital, probably like three, four weeks after the surgery. And then the doctor's like looking at my knee and then wouldn't exactly tell me what was wrong, but he was just like, uh, we got to go back into surgery. Oh, that's, you, you never, ever want to hear that from a doctor. <laughs> when, when they don't want to tell you what it is, it's like just... Just rip the Band-Aid off, Doc, because, I mean, your face is, is worse than, than what the actual diagnosis is yeah, at this point. Exactly. And he's just sitting there, like, very, like, they're standing, staring at the screen, like, if, like, and I was like, come on, what, what's going on? Make long story short on that, I think it was a deal where they left something in, and there was some kind of infection that happened. Oh. So they had to go back in to pull whatever they left in there out. And they had to deal with the infection. So we had to deal with the infection for a little while. And then we had to go back into surgery. Now, at this time, we're like seven months out, six months out. And we have to go back into surgery and then do it again. Wow. So after that surgery, it was just like, this isn't good. 
you know, because now that time frame of when I'm going to be able to train and get ready for this tournament is strong. I still thought that there was some kind of possibility, but the second surgery was worse than the other one because they had to go to the back of my knee and back of my leg and they had to clean out some stuff out of there. They had to repair my, um, it, it, it was, it was, a, it was a huge mess. And the guy said, you know what? I, I think that this is something that you might not be able to bounce back on to make it to that tournament. And if you know, the Olympics as, as you know, Olympics are every four years. So it's always very, it was always something that's very challenging for anybody going to the Olympics, because if you don't make that Olympics, it's four years later. Right. And that is, and, and, and for the average person, they don't understand how much commitment that requires. And especially in the sport of wrestling, I had to do some soul searching. I was like, man, I didn't make it. I can't do it. Can I do four more years? You know, right now I'm already into my life and everything like that. So after the second surgery, I'm sitting on my couch and I was just like, <laughs> this is amazing. Didn't even know what to think. I was like, now what next? Yeah. Sat there for, for a few days. What next? And then I'm sitting out of home and then phone rings again. Hey, Bobby, this is Gerald Briscoe. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> just weird happenstance. <laughs> Either that or he knew. He had someone on the inside saying, hey, you might, might be a good time to call him. Right. Or he might have been involved in involved. conspiracy theories can go wild. Maybe he was the guy that sent the guys to the bank. To get oh, over we're going deep on this one. He, he wanted Lashley that bad. We're going to stage a felony. We needed him. We needed him. We needed the almighty. Oh, man. Uh, so anyway, he calls me up and he's, and he's saying, hey, you know what? I, I just wanted to check in on you. You know, I think they saw me at the World Team Trials. You look great. Just kind of pulling for you. I mean, whenever you're ready. Uh, let us know because we'd love to have you down here. And I was like, well, I, I would be interested in possibly going down there to see, you know, whenever you can. And he was kind of pushing me a little bit. He was like, you know, we really can't wait until all the way to next year. Um, so if you'd like to come down, we'd like to come bring you down here fairly soon. And now when you say come down, this is OVW, correct? Yeah, he wanted me to come to Louisville. Okay. And, uh, meet, meet with Pritchard and, and just kind of do a tryout and meet some of the guys and see how I move around. And I guess just a basic tryout. So I told him, I was like, I would love to. And he was like, well, can you come next week? And I was like, well, not next week. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? And, and the funny thing about it is that I never told him anything about it. Even to this day, I don't even know if he knows unless he saw some of the stories that I've put out before. Never even knew that I had the surgery. I completely faked it. I said, um, you know, I'm in the army right now and I'm, and I'm processing my discharge and a lot of things are going on right now. If you can give me four weeks, I can come. Maybe in five, you can push. He said, five's pushing it, but we can probably do like a four weeks away or something like that. So I hung up the phone with him and I instantly went to the Olympic Training Center because that's where I was at the time. And I started rehabbing. I was rehabbing two times a day. I mean, it was a lot of pain, but I was rehabbing. And I didn't even walk, couldn't even walk, couldn't do anything. So all I was doing is basically doing leg extensions with no weight, you know, sitting on the side yeah. of that table and just like bending it out. And I mean, excruciating pain. But I had to get some kind of mobility. Didn't want to go up there hurt, didn't want to go up there uh, injured, but I wanted to be in good shape. So I was working out like crazy. I was doing as much as I can in the upper body, trying to bend my legs and trying to do whatever I can to get ready for it. The day when I was going, I hadn't even taken a step at all leading up into there. So I got on the plane, flew. When I got off the plane, I took off that leg brace, 
and I tried to just walk really slow. That was my whole thing is just go slow because you can go slow and not look like you're in too much pain. Cause I literally thought that I was just going to sit down, talk with some people and then maybe discuss numbers or whatever it was. I didn't know what I was, what to expect at all whatsoever. And um, when I got up there, the first thing that Pritchard made me do is like, hey, guys, you know, we're going to bring you inside. But leading up to, you know, I'm just walking slow, shaking hands, hey, being really respectfully. Like, just oh, looking cool. People guy. are just like, oh, this is, oh, this guy's cool. He's got that slow, that stride. <laughs> right. <laughs> looking at everybody, hey, you know, really slow, <laughs> like, hey, he's very expressive. I understand it. And then I get, I get to Louisville. And um, what was cool is that that was the first time I met Nick, Dolph, Dolph. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, we both came at the same time, and and Dr. Tom brought us in there. We and the first thing he wanted us to do is, I'm going to teach you guys how to run ropes. And I was like, oh, you know, I haven't <laughs> walked in like two months, and now he's telling me that we're about to run ropes. I was like, you know what? I've 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 been through worse, and 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 I had to just bite down and bite down on that mouthpiece and move forward. I always say. And I got in the ring and I ran the ropes. And I mean, it was so much pain. Everything that we were doing, so much pain. And I remember afterwards, every night, me and Nick, we were staying, Dolph, we were staying in the same hotel. Four days of having to go through this. Wow. Running ropes, fireman's carries, takedowns and stuff like that. But this is what I've been doing all my life. So all they were doing is they were taking me through a very remedial wrestling, amateur wrestling class, which was easy for me. Meanwhile, to everybody else, it's like, wait a minute, what is this? <laughs> what are they trying to do to me? So I went through it, and and um, and then when I got home, they called me up and they said, we want to offer you a contract. So we, we need you to report here, and I think they said it was four months. They said, we need you to report in four months. Get ready. Be ready. And from that on, I mean, that, that four months, I trained like a doggone psychopath. That's nothing different for me, but yeah, it's something... <laughs> something new. I mean, I, I pushed it a little bit more. And I used to always say that getting that opportunity was my Olympic championship. So I take it different. Even now to this day, I train like if I have the Olympic trials coming up. I mean, that's just a mentality I have. I'm going to free from working out. If the people <laughs> listening weren't already jealous of the, the ridiculous physical conditioning of Bobby Lashley, now knowing you got a WWE contract 24 hours after not being able to walk. Uh, I, I, I think I speak for everyone. I say, screw you, Bobby. G3 Assistance through Virginia's community colleges is your pathway to a new future. Get a skill. Get a job. Get ahead. Learn more at vccs.edu forward slash G3. You mentioned it briefly about, about coming up. What about your life or, or how you came up instilled this mentality, this, this willingness to grind and work your ass off to get what you wanted? You, my, my dad was a drill sergeant. So my, my, whole, my story was my parents, my family's from Panama, so I'm 100% Panamanian. Okay. My dad joined the, the, the United States Army. Uh, it's a long story that he told me about, which was, was kind of cool. Don't want to get him in trouble, but he basically kind of snuck his way in. Okay. And, um, <laughs> and brought us to the United States and bought my mom. He, he and my mom came to the United States and that's when they had myself and my three sisters. So um, my mom was young and didn't really have a formal education because when you're in Panama, she was dirt poor. So mm -hmm. same with my dad really didn't have much. So we came in, we were in the army for a while. We, we 
I was born in North Carolina and then we kind of traveled around with the army and then my dad ended up leaving my mom. So my mom having basically a fifth, sixth grade education was trying to support four of us. So we kind of lived in the not so fortunate areas. You know, we lived in a house that was kind of broken down and, and, and nothing. But the one thing I think for me, I picked up from my parents was one, my dad, I did um, live with my dad all the way into about the seventh grade. So my dad was just like a machine. My dad was very stern. My dad was very strict, but my dad was cool at the same time. So he was just, he was like that drill sergeant that was, had everything really sharp, was really together, set some ridiculous wrestle, um, records in like the physical fitness tests in in the army and everything like that. So my dad was kind of like a little superhuman kind of person. And then my mom was kind of like the very soft, nice, like everybody loved my mom. And I never really saw my mom in pain. You know, my mom went through, lack of better terms, went through growing up, you know, having no education. English is a second language. So basically working at gas stations and stuff like that, trying to raise four kids. But I never saw my mom like down. My mom would always like have a smile on my face, her face. And even if things were bad, she was like, you know, it's okay, Bob, it's okay. You know, kind of things like that. So I, I kind of had both of those in me. Like I've never been a, a person to look down and, and be upset and bitch and complain about anything. And I used to work my ass off. So I got that from my parents. From then, you know, I was just kind of a workhorse. Like my friends would talk about it and everything. I, I just would train like crazy and I didn't have anything. And I used to always say, I'm training so I can get out of the, you know, I didn't like growing up with no hot water and, you know, a house that can't even stand up, you know, and, and just being poor, it, it sucked. That's kind of how my life was. It was just, I, I, I kind of, I don't want to say I felt like I was on my own, but I did a lot of things on my own because I don't think anybody understood what I was actually going through. Everybody liked me. I had a whole bunch of friends and everything like that. I was successful in sports, but I always used to go kind of like in my head and I would train my ass off for everything. I put myself through college. I graduated with honors. I was four-time All-American, three-time national champion, took second at the world championships and the list goes on. I mean, I was just kind of that kid that would like just train his ass off. You don't have to really worry about anything for me. You just know that I'll be ready if, if needed. With your rough upbringing and everything you've been through and all the adversity you've battled, would you say you were adequately prepared to launch a career in the sports entertainment industry? <laughs> no one can. <laughs> <laughs> that was the answer I was expecting. You know what? Um, I, I think I think it did help me out a little bit because I have more thick skin. You know, okay. when you go through sports, playing football, like, for example, football as, as a freshman, you know, I was starting running back at 110 pounds, you know, so you have to have some grit to be able to get pushed around by like linebacker. Like I was 110 pounds. This guy's at 200, 250 pounds that have to initiate. Bob, your left leg is 110 pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I was a little dude, man. Look, because when I was growing up and I, and I talked about this before with, with a buddy, and I was like, look, when I was growing up, I lived on Taco Bell. It was cheap. Mm-hmm. And cereal. And I was accomplishing a lot, winning states and stuff like that. When I went to, and I was hitting girls sports, I graduated high school when I was 17. So I was, I was small. I was 160 some pounds when I graduated high school. When I went to college, it's kind of the same thing. You know, I kind of rough it a little bit, but we had meals in there. So I, I, I put on a little bit of weight, got up to like 190 ish, and I was wrestling 174 and 184. And then I ended up going up. When I went to Olympic Training Center, there was a whole new ball of wax because now we had trainers, 
we had a huge assortment of food and it was like proper nutrition and everything like that. So when I was at the Olympic Training Center, I was wrestling 187, but then I couldn't make it anymore. And then with training and everything like that, they brought me up and I was wrestling 211. 96 oh, okay. kilos. There was nothing in, in between 187 and 211. So I was, I was cutting a tremendous amount of weight to make it down to 187. But then when I finally started getting the proper nutrition and started getting training and everything like that, I, I bumped up to 211 and I wrestled 211. And that's when Kurt saw me when it was when I was at 211 and really, really making it. But as far as being ready for professional wrestling, <laughs> wrestling, wrestling is his own little animal. It's, it's one of those things where now I, I have a, a, a huge a different perspective than than a lot of people because i wrestled way back and i was gone for 10 years 11 years and i came back so i saw like different sides of the business so you're, you're comparing your first run in wwe to to current day kind of yeah okay yeah because i think i think before when i came on there was there was those guys that kind of made you earn your keep a little bit sure the, the business as a whole has changed from within absolutely yeah, so, and then that's when a lot of emotions and a lot of tempers and everything went. So when I left, there was that time where I was making a tremendous amount of money. And then I left, and I actually did well for myself, but I had to do it on my own. Like, I fought. And, and, I, and I did some other independent shows and, and a lot of different things. But I think the dynamics of before and now and just coming into wrestling, there's like, a lot of different layers from not being a professional wrestling to actually coming into professional wrestling, which was completely different than anything you could think of leaving there fighting for years and kind of being independent and doing things on my own and learning what some of these guys were talking about before we're doing the independent wrestling. Cause I wanted to come back and kind of pay some dues and, and see what some of these guys that um, gave me a hard time before. said, so, you know what? You didn't come from independent wrestling. You know, you weren't working in, so I was able to do that in those 10 years. And then when I came back, you know, it's, it's, it's a whole different roster. It's a whole different atmosphere and everything. Let me ask you this. When you left the first time, it was you, as you just said, went, you went to fight. Is that something that's just been inherently in you, that need for competition, like unfinished business? When I was in the first time, you know, since how everything just got stopped for me. As far as like wrestling, a lot of the guys that I trained with, Cormier, um, Kane, um, Koscheck, um, Josh Thompson, a lot of these guys that were AKA were good friends of mine. So when I was getting into professional wrestling, I was still kind of like friends with these guys. And I had already kind of dabbled into the professional, into the fighting world, kind of talked to them and everything like that. So I watched all those guys when I was having my first run. Watched Cormier kind of start in. Well, not Cormier, but watch Kane, watch Koscheck, watch um, Thompson. I used to keep up with those guys. So when I left, I was like, you know what? I, I kind of want to do a fight. I need that competition. I want, I want one, at least one. One turned into twenty, but um, <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it was, and you know, it's funny. It was the same way that I did with professional wrestling. When I first came in, I had the opportunity to do just straight to the big show, make a whole bunch of money, kind of like fake it till you make it kind of deal. Put me right. in big matches where there's a tremendous amount of money. And I didn't want to do that. When I went to American Top Team and I told them that I wanted to fight, I said, look, I don't want to just be a fighter that's just coming out here and just beating people up because I can pick the right fights or because I'm bigger than somebody else or I, or I can just push my wrestling on them. I said, I kind of want to be a student of the game. I wanted to start the right way. So I, I went in and, and I did my jujitsu. I did my wrestling. And, and I was just trying to be learn every part of the game. So, of course, I got initially um, contracted from Strikeforce. 
So I was making good money doing it and being able to pay my bills and kind of keep the kind of lifestyle that I wanted to live. Because I lived in Colorado and I really couldn't leave because I was a single father. So I was doing training camps where I'd run down to California for two weeks or a week and train with um, Barnett. And then I would go down to America Top Team down in Florida and I would train with like, you know, Bigfoot was down there, Tiago was down there, Hector, and, and all those guys were down there. So I was, I was kind of piecing my training camps together, um, but I was learning so much. Training, learning boxing from Howard Davis Jr., learning boxing from um, AKA, and they had so many different trainers, but Javier was just amazing. Learning jujitsu from Laborio, going down to the Olympic Training Center and still wrestling with some of those guys. So I was trying to be a student of the game. So I took a back seat and I, and I, and I fought in some kind of what you call maybe independent promotions sure. in between Strike Force and Bellator. So um, I just really wanted to learn. Then I opened up a gym and I was actually teaching all of this stuff also. So it was a good time for me. It was a time that I had an opportunity to kind of give back. I opened up a gym and I brought a lot of fighters in. And um, I was I was losing a tremendous amount of money and keeping this thing open. But it was just a great time that I had an opportunity to fight, train, and, and help so many people out at that time. When did the light bulb go off for you that, hey, I think it's time to head back to the land of WWE? It never went off. After I left, I mean, there was, there was that brief time where you just kind of breathe. Everybody else has right. that. Some some people have that breathing time is is to bash the company and say how great it was. But that wasn't me. I never made that kind of money before. And I don't know if there was a profession that I could have made that kind of money before. So I, I never wanted to burn any bridges. Um, but I did want to fight. So I, I had a time where I was like focused just on fighting. And then I and then I made some calls in. I mean, I spoke to Johnny a few times within there and he was like, oh, you know, it's not we don't really have anything for you right now. Um, which I was like, it's understandable. So I um I just kept going and doing what I was doing. And then when I signed with Bellator and I did the stuff with Impact, with TNA, I signed a contract with Bellator. And in my contract, I said, you know what? If I have an opportunity to go back to professional wrestling, which I'm going to, I want out of this contract. And they said, we're not going to do it for any wrestling promotion, but we'll do it for WWE. So if uh. WWE allows you to come back, then we will halt your contract, not stop it. We'll halt it. We'll pause it. So if you ever come back to fighting, you still always these fights. We'll sign you. And I was like, that's cool with me because yeah. I enjoy Bellator. They treat me really well. And they gave me that out, you know, so. Yeah, that's awesome. I'll fight and I'll, and I'll continue kind of changing my character and building myself a little bit. And then when the WWE is ready, I'll be ready. Well, that said, there's uh, still some unfinished business inside of the cage for Bobby Lashley. Yes. God. I mean, <laughs> I should say no, because there's a time where you got to just stop. And but this deep in the conversation, no one's going to believe it. We're figuring out how Lashley is wired. And I love this. So I'm going to, I'm going to exploit the shit out of it. <laughs> Man, you know what? I, I actually um, was with the bare knuckles guy um, a couple months ago before this all happened. They had a fight in Philadelphia and we were coming through and he called me up. He was like, Hey man, come down. I went and watched the boxing match and we discussed possibly doing something with bare knuckles. I would, man, Sounds a little weird, but I'm not that guy that's just like, oh, I just got to fight everyone. But it is one of those things where I've learned boxing. I've taught boxing. I like boxing and I'd love to be able to. I enjoy fighting. So I've got to test yourself, man. <laughs> maybe uh, I think there's I think there's opportunities there. I think that before it's all said and done, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'll get another fight. If, if my wrestling career lasts too long where I get too old, 
and I'll probably end up fighting in a bar around the street or something like that, <laughs> <laughs> just, just to get my just to get my fix. Find your local <laughs> tough man contest. <laughs> To jump ahead, you return several years now at this point um, back to WWE, much to the shock of, of the WWE universe. What has been different this run compared to your last run? You know, last time you ran with who I was. And I think today's society is different from then. Then wrestling was completely different. I think wrestling was more of the tough guys, the fighters, the brawlers. You know, no one in that. Like I was with JBL, Finley, Booker. Big Show, Umaga, Hardcore Holly, all these guys are the guys that I had to start out with. Yeah. And those guys all had stories of being a little bit mean to the, <laughs> the new guys, but they weren't so much mean to me. But at the same time, when I look back at it, I said, maybe they were, and I just didn't understand because like, yeah. I thought it was more of a fight. So I was like, oh, I'll fight. <laughs> I think that's how it was then. Now it seems like this society and, and the way things are are a little bit different. Those kind of guys are not. Before I was, I was definitely babyface in. Yeah, coming in, you know, they immediately say, "Oh, Bobby's a babyface. He's uh, military, this, that, and the other, all this stuff." But I think this society is a little different. I think this society is more of. I don't want to say. I don't want to be. Oh, I'm a heel. <laughs> Talk about it versus be about it. Yeah, I think it's it's, it's more of talking because, like, I think the guys that are more engaging with social media, the guys that are more vocal, the guys that are more. I guess in, in touch with the crowd, the, the crowd kind of like takes to them a little bit more. My generation is a little bit of older generation. Social media wasn't the biggest thing. So I'm not so big on social media. Like I'm not tweeting and going back and forth with people all day, every day. Um, I do a little post on Instagram from time to time, but I'm, I'm just, I'm, I have kids. So when I'm at home, I'm, I'm usually either training or hanging out with my kids. So I'm kind of a different animal right now. So um, since I'm not so in touch with the crowd like that via social media, I think that just naturally makes me a heel. Fair enough. I, I appreciate that. That's, that's, a, that's a very <laughs> logical answer, actually. It's, people spend hours trying to dissect the psychology of this business. And I'm like, oh, that yeah, that was pretty good. <laughs> if I wasn't who I was, I think that I would probably be snapped this year. I mean, just based on the things that I've done since I've been back, if I was really into social media and had to read everything people were saying about me, Oh Lord, I would. You, you led me. You led me perfectly. I was. I, I was. I was going. Do I ask him? Do I not? But I mean, I, I started enough crap on this show. It got me in trouble because of you know the most infamous storyline in the past several years in Monday Night Raw. Uh, your your relationship. The I, I, it's, people know what I'm talking about. Right. You and I used to laugh in the locker room. If there was ever a time where I could take a shot at a, you know, six foot three, 260 pound badass who could tear me limb from limb with complete confidence, it was during this period, but it came with love. <laughs> Everyone knew, hey, listen, this, this isn't anything new to the business. Everybody's got some stinkers. Everybody's got stuff they're not proud of. If you're easily embarrassed, this isn't the world for you. You are, you know, primetime USA Network week after week. What was going through your mind? during and how did you get through it you saw me it, a lot of times i walk into the locker room and i would just sit down and just kind of look at you look at me nod your head and just kind of chuckle yep. <laughs> and that's all it was it was just the understanding <laughs> and that i mean that's how it was a lot of times but you know um for me i had to figure out the why a lot of times people don't want to know the why 
And I think part of the why for me was, is when I came back, here's a couple things. One, they were like, well, we want people to hate you. That's a good way. Yeah, I mean, that'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> Especially if you heal. But two, also, um, I think it's just getting me to loosen up a little bit. I've trained so long with wrestling and with wrestling, you know, I trained under like any, anyone from Dan Gable to my high school coach, my um, college coach, and it was always shut up and trained. So that's how I, I was always a shut up and trained kind of person. I busted my ass and let your let what you do speak for you. And that's how I was always growing up. I was just like, just I was a workhorse and, and I just never was, I was always a quiet person. So um, I think when coming back there, like we need to like embarrass him enough to break out of his shell. And I mean, singing, getting beaten up my sisters. <laughs> I, I called all this. I remember. Trust me. I, I think I've had most of this stored in some deep, you know, locked up box in the back of my brain. But yes, I, I remember all of this now. Yeah. Now, now let me ask you, when, when this is going down, you said at the top of the interview, how much Kurt Angle has meant to you and your career. Did you ever have a talk with Kurt about what was going on here? Because he's kind of the personification of taking real life badass and becoming this over, over the top, larger than life character. No one's done it quite like Kurt. You know, Kurt offered some kind of advice, but it wasn't an advice to of what people would think. He's like, oh, no, you need to go and tell him that you're not going to do this. He was just like, just have fun with it. Right. And I was like, bro, do you see what I'm doing today? <laughs> 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 and it was, it, it, was, it was challenging. It was challenging because at that time, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm, I'm, when I first started, I started in the summertime. My kids weren't at school, so my kids were going to the house shows with me almost every weekend. Um, so because it, it was an adjustment for me, my kids were going with me. When I started this storyline, my kids didn't even watch the show. They couldn't watch the show. It was just a time for me to kind of pay my dues. But at the same time, you know what I thought about also? I said, you know what? My first run, I left early. And I know that I had a lot of possibilities. And I know that they had a lot of plans for me on my first run. But I left early. So I said, um, maybe this is a way of paying dues. And it's not like I haven't paid dues before. You know, and it's, it's not a thing of, oh, I'm just going to sell out and do whatever. It's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to pay my dues and I'm going to show you that I'm, I'm, I'm here, you know, and you can, and you can look at it this way. Um, some people have to, excuse my language, some people have to eat and then have to deliver burgers or flip burgers or something like yes, that. Yes, sir. Yep. Um, you're actually having to do it and get paid a tremendous amount of money to take care of your family and do things that you can on the outside of this. So um, one, you just have to say, look, I'm playing a character on TV. It's not me. Right. <laughs> like. Some of the guys, if, if I have to lose to somebody, it's, it's kind of one of those things like, are you serious? Like, yeah, I mean, in real life, would Bobby Lashley ever really lose? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so and ultimately, you know, they have an opportunity to use me the best of their ability if they want to. If they choose not to, that's their, their deal. But I, it's just like I have a show and I have all these characters for this show. This guy, we really can push. We really can put this guy in a good position that's beneficial for him and us. Or we can just like play him around here and just kind of like lose that investment. For me, I'm going to take care of that investment and ultimately put it where I want. But I can understand how you say, mm, we have to sit back and see if this investment is not just going to use us and take off. So if that's the case, you know, and I think I've kind of proven <laughs> that, that, that I'm here and, I, and, and I'm willing to work and do whatever. Hey, you got to do what you have to do so you can do what you want to do, which nowadays seems to be the case a little bit more 
Monday Night Raw's hurt business, running roughshod over everything. How much fun is it for you to be part of this group? Man, it's it's incredible because I think that the group that we have is a group that is it's real. And when me and MVP, when, when MVP first came back, MVP had told me this. He was like, you know what? When I first came back, it was really just to have that one match that my son, because he had a son, um, and the son didn't see him wrestle before. He was like, man, right. I really want my son to be able to see me wrestle live and, and under the lights and everything like that. And he wasn't thinking about coming back full time. But when he came back, he and I went eight and, and then Paul saw us and he was like, man, you an MVP. And we did something before. And I was like, man, we got to run that back. So I think me and MVP and Sheldon, we're kind of all in the same boat. And I think that when we when we first um, got together, we were eating dinner every night. We were just all talking about putting this thing together. And the herd business was basically guys that were from before that I had talked about before, that kind of tough man era um, coming back today to kind of like push what we have on some of these younger guys. But at the same time, we understand the business and understanding the business is we're going to beat you down and we're going to be the bullies that we have. But I'm going to do the same thing that Booker did for me and Finley did for me and JBL did for me and, and Vince did for me and Shane did for me and Umaga did for me, told the story beat a lot of people's ass but at the ultimate at, at the end of the day the good guys are going to get over and and i think a lot of these guys um we have a really good opportunity to to do some really good things for some of these guys the ricochets the apollos the cedrics the ali's and any other baby face in the company because um ultimately we're going to beat you down but um if you find that way to make it through us i think we can put you over and make you good uh, I, I love it, man. But to be perfectly honest, this is my perspective. When I see you guys doing your thing, particularly backstage, when you, th you th guys roll up suits head to toe, dress like a million bucks, I'm not going, man, I, I can't stand those guys. I'm going, I want to be those guys. <laughs> There's nothing cooler than watching you three badasses walk through in your suits. And I'm like, that's it. There's just money, money right there. Guys, anyone see this? So, so I'm enjoying it, man. So for what it's worth. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's one of those things where um, when we start, un when we start unbuttoning our, our suit jacket, it's going down. <laughs> it's the coolest, man. I, I love it. I'm, I'm genuinely a fan of it. I, I watched that in the underground thing, which you guys have been a part of. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Because you guys have, have had a pretty big role in Raw Underground, which is unlike anything that, that we really had before. I think it's something new. I think it's something different. I, it, new is always, it's always intriguing. You know, a lot of times people will say bad things, good things, but Ultimately, they're watching because it's different. So I like it. I think the one thing that I would I would kind of bring in a little bit for some of the guys is I would have the guys that are actually going to do it, do some actual fight training, do a little bit more fight training. Because I, don't, I, I think it always goes back to if you're going to mimic something, mimic it right. You know, if, if, if I'm going to if I'm going to do a salute, I'm going to do a salute that army guys are going to look at me and say, Oh man, he's not showing his palm. He has his arm straight and everything like that. So same thing with underground. If I'm going to go out there doing fighting and everything like that, then some of these guys should go and take a class in boxing, kickboxing, jujitsu, and stuff like that, so they can hone their craft. They don't really need it for professional wrestling, but at least pick up little bits and pieces, so that if an MMA guy is watching, he's like, "That's awesome," and they know what they're doing. They're paying respects to the actual sport. Beautiful. Love it. Before I let you go, I got to ask you one more time. You've been very vocal throughout your career, particularly recently, of the one thing Bobby Lashley wants more in the world than anything, Brock Lesnar. Is that what I said? I think so. Uh, if not, maybe I just made that up. 
I, I've been <laughs> be- begging for it for years as a fan. How bad does Bobby Lashley want Brock Lesnar? And what's it going to take to happen? He's been running from me. You see it. When I first came in, he left. When I left, he came back. When I came back, he left. He's been running from me this whole time. You know what's funny is, and I think I told you before, I met Brock for the first time maybe a year ago. Never crossed paths with him. But I've been talked about him from the day that I started. So for me, you know, somebody once told me that was up. They were like, oh, you know, Brock has his other stuff and all this stuff. And I was like, all right, that's cool. And it's the same thing that I said before. If the fans wanted enough, I don't see why you don't give it to them. And they've been yelling about it. I can post a picture about my kids on Instagram and they'd be like, oh, we want Bobby and Brock. And that is not a lie. Every one of the posts that I have has something about Brock. So for me, I don't really mind it, man. I am a competitor. If it's fighting, I don't mind going fighting. I like to fight. I enjoy it. I'm not, a, I'm not somebody that's going to fight in a bar or anything like that. I just like the sport of fighting. And I would love to be able to fight him in the cage. It would be an astronomical fight. It would be an awesome fight. Um, or pro wrestling. I would love to do pro wrestling. I tell you, if I did pro wrestling, I've already seen what I want to do. I don't know how the finish would be. But, you know, when Brock jumped and did... Um, Lions, is Lions, no, no. Was it Lion Salt? What did he do off the top rope where he broke his neck? Oh, the shooting star. The shooting star. The shooting star. Yeah. I Which said, he successfully I, I, did all the time in OVW, no? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, he did it a million times. Uh, but just that time, length and tired and all kinds of stuff. I said, you know what? I would definitely hit that on him. And I haven't even got up to the top rope, but that would be something that would be needed to happen. Either I went for it and he stood up and caught me, or he took it and kicked out of it, or I hit him and pinned him. Because that match is that big and we need a good punch. Bobby Lashley hitting a shooting star press on Brock Lesnar. <laughs> Shut up and take my money. Take it right now. <laughs> and pay my bills. <laughs> right on. Well, hey, man, the draft's coming up right around the corner. Personally, selfishly, I'm hoping you end up on Friday Night SmackDown. Uh, maybe you bring the Hurt Business with you. Maybe, maybe yeah. not. Either way, I'll see you uh, sooner than later. Right on, man. I, I, I love it. Any, anyway, I, Raw, SmackDown, just as long as I'm on TV and having fun. Beautiful. All right, Bobby, I appreciate your time, man. Good luck. Right on, man. Appreciate you. Thank you once again to Bobby Lashley for hanging out. I selfishly hope he ends up on Friday Night SmackDown because I enjoy calling Lashley matches. Hell, bring the whole Hurt business with you. I want to see the Hurt business on Friday nights. Before I bail on you, I'll throw some Zen your way. This one is from an unknown author, but that doesn't make it any less true or powerful. It says trust is earned. Respect is given. And loyalty is demonstrated. Betrayal of any one of those is to lose all three. There's some Zen for you. I'm full of it. Make sure you follow at After the Bell, WWE on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Use the hashtag After the Bell. I swear, I actively search the hashtag After the Bell on Twitter. So if you want me to read something, good, bad, or indifferent, just use it. Don't bother tagging me because I usually ignore those. And I say this every week, but if you're using Apple Podcasts, throw us five stars. Please, if you're using an Android, ATB is on Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts, so you have no excuse to ever miss an episode under any circumstance. And you can follow me at WWE Graves, where sometimes I do funny things. I'll be back next week with more wisdom, more vitriol, and more WWE after the bell. Bye.